Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. What a lot to preach about uh, today. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, so three years ago I preached on the gospel, and then um, I thought about the first Corinthians reading, but I think... You really need to have a proper understanding of the distinction between law and gospel before you can really begin to parse what St. Paul is teaching in 1 Corinthians because it's part of a greater part in that first epistle. So I want to go to the Old Testament today so that we can begin to uh, make a distinction between the law and the gospel. We can begin to understand these two words that God speaks to you. And uh, uh, it's very, very important and, uh, and it will really, I think, that distinction between law and gospel helps us understand what Christianity is actually all about. You know, it's not, uh, it's not a, a life plan. It's about, uh, it's about being saved, saved by a Savior all the day long. And then this becomes the enabling agent to make our prayers kind of line up with uh, the statement that Martin Luther King Jr. once made, and that was to stick with love because hate is too heavy a burden. And you know, you begin to realize that our lives are ones of constant death and resurrection. But what I want you to know above all else today, and especially as we continue to move into uh, 2020 redo, um, is that during this particular season, many of us have made our prayer uh, like that of Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And what I want you to know is that indeed, God has a word for you. God always has a word for you in Jesus, and it is abundantly clear. And in flesh, in the personal work of Jesus, it is always a word of comfort and a word of peace. So, we come to the third chapter, the first book of Samuel. And there are two significant religious figures here, and there is a shifting going on. Samuel and Eli. And you see first the, the prophet Eli. Eli was the current prophet of Israel and he was a judge. He was the spiritual leader. And Eli had two sons who were clergy as well. And the Bible tells us they were corrupt and worthless men. And Eli could not, nor would he, exercise any discipline over his sons. Then the second person we're introduced today is Samuel. And he was the miracle child of a barren woman named Hannah. And what had happened was is that Hannah had made a vow to God that if he gave her a son, she would commit him to the Lord by making him a Nazarite. Now, Nazarites were a particular order who were set apart from God. And their vow involved abstaining from alcohol. They did not cut their hair. And they avoided touching dead things. They were to remain, if you will, ritually clean in order to be used for the purposes by which God had set them apart. And in chapter 3, we begin to read about the faith of Israel. And it is dismal. We're told in verse 7 that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And that the word of the Lord had not yet been received by him. Isn't that interesting? It had not been received. It's not something he was going to figure out. It had not been received. And so there we see 
Nevertheless, Samuel is performing the sacrifices and rituals. The implication here is that Samuel is just kind of going through the motions. All of Israel is just going through the motions. The corruption is summed up when the author here writes, the word of the Lord was rare in those days and visions were not widespread. I mean, that is one of the first signs of God's judgment is that the word of the Lord is rare in those days. The real word of the Lord. Lots of people talking about the word of the Lord, but it's rare, the real word of the Lord. And one of the big lessons that's being articulated and conveyed in 1 Samuel is the distinction between faithfulness and religion. And that the two do not technically correspond. I mean, this is nothing new. This is evident in the scandals that we constantly see that plague and mar the church today. However, despite it all, God is always still at work. The rector emeritus of this parish, Tom Pike, he told me once about a time when someone, and clearly, you know, and the beautiful thing about Tom was he, had rela- he has relationships with everybody. I mean, people were like, I'm definitely not a Christian, but Tom Pike's my pastor. You know, this is, this is the kind of guy he is. But this problem, this person clearly had a problem with Christianity. And uh, they made the statement, with all the corruption in the church, Tom, it's a wonder it survived. To which Tom brilliantly responded, and if you know Tom, you know he's full of all of these one-liners. He said, even in the midst of faithlessness, God is always sowing the seeds of faithfulness and renewal. That's powerful. Despite ourselves, God is always at work. This is what 1 Samuel is teaching us. In the midst of all of this corruption, in the midst of all of this faithlessness, the author writes that the lamp of God, God's very presence, had not gone out. And this is my first point. And this is good news for all of us, especially with all that we're seeing and the turmoil happening. But this is my first point. When we're just going through the motions, faithless, when we're just clanging cymbals, faithless, when we feel like giving up, faithless, God, is always still faithful. What the Bible proclaims from Genesis to Revelation is that despite ourselves, despite our corruption, despite our failures, God has declared, let light shine out of darkness. And that he is always at work to bring about his purposes. And what is his purpose? Namely, the salvation of the whole world through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this, it's into this situation, into this mess, God begins to call Samuel. And while Samuel does not know God, and this is good news for all of you, and good news for all of you watching on TV, Well, you may not know God, 
God most assuredly knows you. God knows Samuel. And three times God calls out to Samuel, and Samuel thinks it's Eli. However, Eli, as corrupt as he is, senses something is going on. And says, if he calls you, again, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This is important. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I hear people all the time talking about seeing God and looking for God. That's not a Judeo-Christian idea. That's a pagan idea. Oh, I see God in the sunsets. I see God in the stars. That may be so, but you do not hear from the sunset and the stars that he is good, that he is merciful, and that he is kind. That's an abstraction. We love to make God into an abstraction. The God of the Bible is the God who speaks. And therefore, he is the God who needs to be heard. And the Bible teaches us that God speaks to us, not in a plethora of things, but in two very specific words. As I mentioned in the beginning of the sermon, he speaks to us through law, and he speaks to us through gospel. Now, what are these two words? Because the church is always muddling them. It's always muddling them. The first is law, which is the revelation of God's righteousness. So it's always going to come to you, and you're always going to hear it as a word of accusation and judgment. And Samuel receives that word of judgment firsthand. When God announces the spiritual shift that he is ending Eli's house. This is part of those themes if you've been tuning into my Romans Bible study where you begin to see God raises up and he tears down in order to make straight a path for salvation for the whole world. But here's the word of judgment. He's ending Eli's house for their blasphemy. And an even more powerful word the law does, it kills, Eli's house shall not be expiated by the sacrifice or offerings forever. That makes me nervous. But what he is saying right here is Eli's house, on its own, can never make amends for the wrongs they have done to God. On their own, their blasphemy is too great. That's a rough word. And I love how earthy this message is. Because the author tells us that Samuel has to deliver that message to Eli and that Samuel's afraid of it. I once heard a funny story about a man and he was approached by a prophet and the guy said, the prophet said, I got two words from the Lord for you. I forgot the first one, but the second one was, or else. And, you know, I mean, well, that's kind of like what's going on here, you know? I got a word from the Lord for you last night, Eli. Uh, You're going to die. So what's for breakfast? You know, I mean... This is tough. Yet because that word, and you're hearing it right now, you're hearing it as well, that first word is so rough, our instinct is to try and distance ourselves from it. Try and distance ourselves from the house of Eli. 
Well, at least I don't got two kids who are clergy that really were jerks. But never forget, our nature is connected to that house as well. I think about the religious landscape in our country right now. With the prophets on the left and the prophets on the right. And all of these yahoos on both sides telling us what we got to do in order to make God happy with this country again. The blasphemy, especially the co-opting of Christianity and making a state religion, whether it's liberal or conservative, the blasphemy of racism, the blasphemy of classism, the blasphemy of every ism in the name of Jesus, that blasphemy is too great to be atoned for by ourselves. Even the house of Smith, as awesome as I am, you know, the wrongs that I have done before God are too great to be atoned for by Jake. And the same is true for you. This is my second point. This first word God speaks, law, demands perfection. And anyone who's telling you do your best and God will do the rest, that's a false word. No, it demands perfection and judges not only the intentions of your bad deeds, but judges the intentions of your good deeds as well. And when the law is rightly encountered, it exposes a deep wound in all of us called sin. And the wages of sin leads to death. And like the house of Eli, you, your offerings, me and my offerings and sacrifices cannot make expiation or amends for the wrongs we've done. It's too great. By the end of the chapter, what we begin to see is the lifting up and the tearing down, bringing them high tops low and the valleys up. At the end of the chapter, the author makes clear that the roles have been reversed. And there was no doubt from the north to the south of Israel that there was a prophet in the land, and his name was Samuel. And as one continues to read the history books of Israel, Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, and the, well, there's and 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, all of the history books, but as one continues to read, we read that Samuel oversees the shift in Israel's history from judges which were essentially warlords that ruled over Israel, to a monarchy. Samuel oversees the shift from the first king of Israel, Saul, to placing a royal anointing upon a scrawny little shepherd boy named David from the house of Judah, who despite his many iniquities, David's not a good guy. 
Despite his many iniquities, God would promise that his kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. Because God is going to bring about the salvation of the world. And through David's line, 28 generations later, would come David's greater son, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who was also preceded by a Nazarite prophet, John the Baptist, born also of a barren woman, who also preached the hard word of the law. And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, last week, when he baptized Jesus, the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus, and a voice from heaven was heard, This is my well-beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And this King Jesus is God's word in flesh. And this King Jesus is the fulfillment of that first word, the law, which says, despite your iniquities, Jake, though your sins be great, the second word of God, the gospel says, Jesus in his death and resurrection has become the expiation for you, for me, and for the whole world. The perfect, pleasing offering to God for which Eli's house and for which our house and for which our nation cannot make. Therefore, in this second word, the gospel, Jesus Christ, your sins are always forgiven and you have not only been declared not guilty, but you have been declared innocent by God and have been made his righteousness and holy. Wrap your mind around that right now. That is how God sees you. Righteous and holy. Can't do anything more to uh, make it holier, and you can't do anything less to take it away. And this is my third point. In the midst of all of our doings, in the midst of wanting to take control, in the midst of what so often seems to be our faithlessness. Our prayer is speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And God speaks, and we continue to go to his word. And where is his word? Not in a sunset. Not when someone hits the G chord right. But where he has placed his name. We go to our baptisms. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you hear him say, you are saved. And you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. You go gathered around this table in bread and wine. And you hear God reassure you, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And it is atoned for all you've done. Hearing and knowing God. I'll close with this. Hearing and knowing God is not a human accomplishment. 
something that we receive. It's a divine revelation that is received by grace. And while listening for him to speak, you may not get the answer you were hoping for. You may not get the answer you were looking for, I should say. However, you'll always get the answer that you need. The answer to see you through death itself. And that answer from God is, I love you. And I will never leave you or forsake you. And though all may turn their back on you, I will be with you to the very ends of the age. Most importantly, you are forgiven. Two words, law and gospel. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.